Welcome to the Feels Like 45 podcast. I'm Cade Webb, and as always, I am joined by Dustin Ragusa. Dustin, how are you this evening? Doing well. We're back. Spring football almost over, Cade. Two practice, two more practices. We're recording on Tuesday. They'll have Wednesday practice and Saturday practice, which Coach Gundy said will be full take-to-the-ground tackling for pretty much the first time all spring. And then we're done until the summer workouts. That's crazy. I can't believe we're already to that point in the offseason. Usually spring football is like the, oh, okay, football's not that far. And the end of spring football is like, we don't have very much left to go at all. We have potentially Oklahoma State softball winning a natty until it's football time. Like, that's what we're <laughs> looking at. Exactly. Normally, you know, the spring game would be this upcoming Saturday. It's not, so it's just going to be a... I think full-on scrimmage-type practice is what Gundy made it sound like to the media yesterday when he talked to them. So it'll be interesting to see what comes of that. But Yeah, it's weird to, you know, that spring football is already almost over. Like you said, it's kind of crazy. Well, it it is crazy, and uh, it's it's crazy how fast every year you you get to January 2nd and the season's over. You're like, man, August is a long way away. And then you look up, and, I mean, we really are – a month and a half two we're two and a half months away from really breaking this team down and getting after the schedule who who we should be looking out for in the Big 12 and the new Big 12 it's going to be a completely new look and I'm I'm fired up for it it's also the fact that spring football is almost over is an interesting thing because you were able to get your eyes on some of this this last weekend, Dustin. And so I don't want to tee you up, but I kind of do because I know you've got some items to share for us. Yeah, so we kind of teased this a little bit in prior podcast. Didn't want to give, didn't want to say it was for sure going to happen because it's never a for sure thing. Similar to two years ago, I was able to attend the full practice last Saturday with friends of the podcast, Adam Lunt and our buddy Alex Fuller. They were there with me. So we got to watch the whole practice along with several recruits. There were several guys there from the Legends Golf Tournament, a bunch of offensive linemen, the War Pigs from Gundy's era at quarterback. R.W. McCorders was there. I actually didn't see him. Justin Blackman was there, did see him. That was really cool to see him back at Oklahoma State. I know there's something either up or coming out soon on OSU Max with him. But I got to watch the entire practice from, you know, the first kind of individual drills, the stretching all the way through the team periods, red zone work, individual drills again. And then they finished off with special teams. And that's when they let the fans come in for the meet and greets, which we didn't stay for too long for that, but it seemed really cool. There was probably like 200, 300 fans there getting to mingle with the players, take pictures. So I know a lot of people really wanted a spring game. It's cool to have a spring game. You and I both like the spring game, but for them to at least do something like that and to actually have that interaction with the players. I don't think there's a lot of opportunities for the fans to really do something like that. So I thought that was actually kind of cool. 
Yeah, well, 100%. I know a lot of people wanted there to be something more. Like, I think if you if you got on Twitter, I think people realized, oh, that they weren't going to open up the entire practice to uh, the, the general public. So uh, it was interesting to see that. But no, I... It sounds like a great Saturday in Stillwater. Obviously, there was baseball, softball going on as well. So it looked like a great time. Yeah, so what we'll do, Cade, for this, you and I kind of talked about it off air. We'll go offense, then defense, give some injury news, some general kind of overview notes a little bit at the beginning that I can do some at the end. And we can go by position group, maybe leaving you know some of them out that didn't pop as much or we didn't see as much of because – you know, the, it's not like everything's going on in one spot. They have the indoor, they have the outdoor individual drills are all over the field, all over both fields. So I couldn't watch every second of practice. I wish, I wish I could have. And obviously Lunt Fuller and I aren't smart enough to all split up. We stood by each other. So we didn't look weird. So we all <laughs> saw the same things. Adam did a great job of writing down all of his notes. So I did some stealing, some copying from him, added in a little bit of my own, but he pretty much covered it all with some with some Alex Fuller sprinkled on top. So we'll just kind of go through those. It was great to be able to go to a practice this late. We went to one a little bit earlier, two years ago. That was the Jalen Warren year when you know you and I talked about this, but yeah. Jalen Warren really popped to us. So, so I can talk about a guy like that this time, not, not a transfer, but another guy who popped. So Kate, I'm ready to start with offense. If you're ready for that. I'm, I'm, I'm dying over here. I'm ready. <laughs> okay. So offensive injury report and all these have been reported now, I believe, I think they've just been reported separate times. So I don't think it's any new info, just kind of confirming what I saw. Alan Shetron, the reason why Kate, you and I talked about this, we kind of stopped Hearing some news about him. We didn't see him written about in some of Robert Allen's practice reports. He was in a sling and I didn't even see him until about oh, wow. midway through practice. Robert Allen said on the radio yesterday that he should be ready by fall, but he's going to miss all of spring, maybe back by summer workouts, but he won't be fully practicing again, obviously with only a couple of practices left until the fall. So that's why we haven't heard much from Shetron. It's not like he hasn't been performing well. He hasn't gotten a chance to also saw Jake Henry. He was dressed, not in kind of full pads though. He was on the bike a lot. That's offensive lineman, Jake Henry. And then another offensive lineman who we knew about, but just to confirm, he's still not practicing. Dalton Cooper was in a boot, but he was extremely involved in practice. He had his play card, his practice agenda, talking to the offensive lineman pretty much the entire time on the sidelines, kind of running through things with coach Dickey. He looked like he was already a, five-year member part of the team, basically like a redshirt senior with how involved he was. So that was pretty awesome. Kate, nothing really too shocking there aside from the Shetron news, but you and I had kind of heard about that. So I don't know how surprising that will be. It's tough to hear he's missing a spring, but this is a guy who's been on the team already, not like he's a transfer in. So shouldn't shouldn't take yeah, him too long to get back into things in the it, fall. It's too bad that he's dinged up again. I mean, we we saw a little bit in in the last season, and then he had an injury that really kind of put him out for a big chunk of the year. And now potentially an injury that you hope doesn't linger. And it sounds like by all accounts that he'll be back in time and, and it's it's no big deal. But uh it's unfortunate that that's the case. A guy that 
I think can really pop if given the chance, but he's in a loaded wide receiver room that we've talked about. And I, I'm, I'm curious to see how that goes for him, but he's got to get healthy. Number one. And then the Dalton Cooper thing is really interesting, especially considering the Caleb Etienne news entering the transfer portal, him on the sidelines. You combine those two things with what Mike Gundy said about feeling like he had gotten beat out. And it's like, my first question is by who? Because Dalton <laughs> Cooper hadn't practiced a whole lot. Sounds like he's been dinged up for a couple of weeks. So it's very interesting, all of that kind of nebulous of information there. Yeah, it really is. And it sounds like Cooper's going to fully recover. He's an experienced player. It's not like he's a one-year guy that transferred over. So like you said, maybe he showed enough in those three-ish practices in walkthroughs. We know he's been with the team for a while now. And hopefully that kind of experience he already has at the college level will lead him into being ready to go for summer and for fall. But it doesn't sound serious. Plantar fasciitis is what we've heard. He's got the boot on, but he was walking around on the boot fine. And he did the bike all practice with the boot on. So he's obviously a tough dude. I would not want to be doing those bike cardio drills with Jamie Blatnick over on the side. And also they were doing some ab work and some other cardio things that looks, I'd probably rather go out there and get hit in practice than have to <laughs> and do, do that. core for two hours. Yeah. That sounds it awesome. looked terrible, but I, you know, those guys are staying in shape. So that's great. It's, it was fun to kind of see them still involved, even though they're injured, but hopefully they come back and everything's okay. Okay. Kate, moving on. And I'll give the kind of depth chart. We saw a lot of ones, twos, and threes. They Gundy talked about how they're rotating three groups. So I'll try to give a one, two, and three for every position. Now, some of them, there was so much rotation, like running back, it was hard to kind of tell who was one outside of the performance. So if I'm, a, if I'm able to tell who truly was one, two, three, I'll let you know. If I'm able to tell on performance, remember, that's my kind of opinion. So don't hold anybody to that because remember, I'm, I'm sure. done. So quarterback, first thing, Cade, for Alan Bowman, he is thick, like with multiple C's. I did not <laughs> know that. He's also tall. You know, Lunt and I were talking. He's every bit of 6'4", probably. Oh, wow. He is definitely more mobile than, I guess, you know, maybe maybe not than I remember because when I did that Twitter thread on him, I was kind of hyping on his mobility. Right, right. But you just, you don't think of him as a mobile guy from everything that you've heard, which is maybe why you shouldn't listen to, you know, all different sources, but he moved around really well in the pocket, but that was kind of the first thing that popped up to me. He seemed in an awesome mood. Seems like a leader. Him and Rangel both seemed like leaders and just his physical presence was a little astonishing to me of how big a dude he is. I don't know if you and I ever really talked about his no, size I and maybe some of that, you know, muscle mass he has will help him hold up a little bit better than he has in the past. Cause I don't remember him looking like that at Texas tech. No. And you, you saying this, I don't remember him being, you know, a, a, uh, physically impressive, impressive guy. Is that fair to say? I mean, like yeah. he just kind of looked like a quarterback to me at times. So I, this is interesting to hear you say this. And Kate, I'm going to, I'm going to hit on him for a little bit because Alan Bowman really, We already really called him thick me. with multiple seats, so I'm excited to see where this goes. <laughs> he really impressed me. You could tell. So one of the things that you could tell with him that was a little bit above and beyond the other quarterbacks is he would look off his first read 
come back to the middle of the field and fire the ball very quickly or fire to the opposite side very quickly. And that comes with feel, experience, Mm. playing time at the college level. He's able to process things and kind of fire the ball. Lunt compared it to parking in your garage. Are you able to pull the car in without having to go check and close the garage door? It's kind of a feel thing there, being able to turn back to the middle of the field, fire the football, and find the open receiver. He did that on a touchdown pass to Rashad Owens. It wasn't like he like found a guy eight yards down the field. He fired it back into the middle of the defense for a touchdown. Rangel, obviously still struggling a little bit with that, but that'll come with time. He did a better job of kind of finding his outlet, but not always getting the ball down the field for big gains, which you don't have to do every single time. He just kind of struggled with that. And I think that was the big difference between those two. You can just tell Bowman already, because he's so experienced as a college quarterback and because he's talented, already has a good feel of this offense and already has separated himself, I think, above Garrett Rangel. If anyone's telling you there's a QB competition, I know I only got to watch one practice. Kate Allen Bowman's QB one, and I don't think there's any real competition. And from what I saw in that practice, aside from him getting sacked a couple of times, but we can get into O-line in a little bit. I think from what I saw in this practice, he has a chance to be a pretty solid quarterback at Oklahoma State. Is that surprising to you? Mm, I would say... Yes and no. I think the level of advancement is what you would expect out of a guy like that. Uh, in his sixth year, th- he has been around the block. You would expect a little bit of an advanced level of knowledge compared to a true sophomore in Garrett Rangel. That does not surprise me. What I think surprises me the most about this is you talk about like the zip on the ball, his ability to get back into the middle of the field, and it. It may not be necessarily surprising, but what I think about with this is that it's not something we've seen a ton of with prior Oklahoma State quarterbacks over the last five years. There's been a real problem with throwing to the middle of the field. Spencer Sanders really, for the first time, kind of figured out how to get back to the middle of the field his last year in Stillwater. So to be able to kind of build on that and see Oklahoma State utilize the middle of the field, which is a complaint, I'm excited to see because I think they have two real weapons in the middle of the field this year, and it'll be exciting to see how that goes. But it is a little surprising, but at the same time, it's it's what you would expect out of an Allen Bowman. What I think I'm most excited about is it sounds like the physical tools are there, and it's, it is what we've said, a matter of if he can stay healthy. Yeah, that's the big thing because some of the things I had question marks on, you know, his ability to get out of the pocket and make plays with the mobility – Gundy talked about it. He's able to make plays with his arm and seeing that in action, he sometimes, which I already mentioned, got pressured and he was able to get free and throw passes that were extremely accurate. We knew he had the touch and the accuracy. That was one of the things that you and I both talked about as one of his major strengths, but he th- I think he's got enough pop in his arm to get the ball to every place on the field, which is something with how many injuries he's had. I know not all of them have into his throwing arm or anything, but just how many injuries he's had being a little bit older guy, not always having that true arm strength, even straight out of high school. I thought his arm looked great and the touch was just incredible. So I think even if, even if he gets pressured, I think he'll be able to make plays outside the pocket, which I, I don't know. I don't know how much of a question that was for me, but I know that from talking to other fans, that's been a question. And I, I don't, I think he answered it for me in that practice. 
It's a it's a question I had is Oklahoma State does want somebody able to extend plays and at times even make them with their feet. Dustin, I have a question for you. So now you've seen one whole practice with Alan Bowman. You can make this judgment call when I ask you this. Which Oklahoma State quarterback over the last, let's just say, 10, 10 years, let's just call it that, is he most like, in your opinion? Is that even a – is he unlike anything? Because I'm having a hard time when I ask myself that question. Is Who is who does he remind you of? Does he have any intangibles that just scream, you know, this former Oklahoma State quarterback? You know, it's kind of tough because I think he's more mobile than a Rudolph or a Whedon, which, I, you know, I'm not going to just straight up compare him to two of the best right. quarterbacks no, in Oklahoma I totally State get history. It. But style-wise, I think he's definitely more mobile than Whedon, more mobile than Rudolph. He's not as – fast or athletic probably as a chelf but he's got or a sanders even but he's kind of in i'd say he's almost in the middle of all of them mm. kind of athleticism wise and arm strength wise he's kind of like floating in that middle part i don't think he's very similar he's definitely quite he's almost the exact opposite of spencer sanders you know yeah. Fuller and i were talking about this it's like the thing sanders was really good at getting out of the pocket, running the ball, having the big arm when maybe he doesn't have as big an arm. He's not a pure running dual threat quarterback. He maybe is more kind of cerebral in reading the defense, figuring out where to go with the football after the play has started to develop, which we know Spencer Sanders had some issues with at times and like to just use his legs or get to the check down. So I, I don't know if I can really answer your question, but I would say – He's no, you com- did almost the complete opposite of a Spencer Sanders. You you did. And I mean, Oklahoma State has had polar, you know, opposite styles of quarterbacks. You just look from like the transition from Taylor Cornelius to Spencer Sanders. You did answer my question. I I was curious to see where on that spectrum he kind of lied. It was about what you said, what I was expecting. So last thing I wanted to hit on him, he gets the ball out really quick. I know Sanders had some with his mechanics, it seemed like at times earlier in his career, it took a little while and he was able to kind of start getting quicker and quicker and got the ball really fast on those screens and outs, even those opposite hash outs. So I don't think there'll be a drop off there because Bowman gets the ball out really quick. So that was, he, he definitely Cade was one of my favorite players to watch in this practice. And one of the players I was the most impressed with, not that I came in low on him, but he definitely showed out in this practice and made me feel pretty good about him leading this team into the season next year. Yeah. I mean, it's been so long since we've seen him. I mean, the last time we really saw him in full game action was at Texas Tech, and and he was commanding a season and doing a good job. There's even some refreshing I need on like, okay, how big is the arm? Because I remember it being huge, but it's been a while, and I, I'm I'm just excited to see him. I I can't blame you at all. He would have been the first guy I watched, and it would have been hard for me to come off of him. Now Garrett Rangel, moving to him, I thought he actually looked really good. He's faster than you think. And I don't know if we really got to see it that much this year, but he can get out of the pocket probably even better than Bowman. He's someone you might make a comparison more speed-wise to maybe not as fast as a shelf because that's probably mm-hmm. knocking him down a little bit because he's a he was a very athletic quarterback. Yeah, he's had pretty four, six speed. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, but Rangel is is definitely quick. And he can he could run. I think he can run the zone read, which we saw him kind of try to do at times last year, but he looks bigger. 
not way bigger, but the nine, 10 pounds or whatever they have listed it, have him listed at as being heavier. I think that's the truth. He does look heavier. He's still a little slow on his post snap reads, but pre snap, you know, Lunt mentioned this. If he knows where to get the ball, he's firing it out there. He had set, he had a, he had a touchdown to Rashad Owens, who I want to get to later. I know I've already mentioned his name a couple of times. The one thing I noticed with Rangel is accuracy. It looked much improved. And Kate, I say that you and I thought he was really accurate coming out right. of high school. We were shocked at some of the throws he was making in game. He got pressured a little bit. All the quarterbacks did when we were when they were with the two or three offensive line because they were all three kind of rotating. Rangel, Gundy, and uh, and Bowman were all rotating with the ones and twos and threes. They've still been doing that. Gundy mentioned that. So when they were with the twos and threes O line, they were getting a little bit more pressure. And we'll talk about that a little bit later. But when Rengo had time or if he was able to get out of the pocket and make a play, I thought he did a good job. You just like to see him make more deep throws to his second and third options down the field. And he still looks a little timid getting the ball to the middle of the football field. But that's expected. It's He's yeah, a true sure. sophomore with not a ton of in-game experience. So it, I think he'll get faster at his progressions. I think that'll come with time. I think it'll be good for him to sit behind Alan Bowman. Like we said, if Bowman can stay healthy, but I do think you can see him getting some in-game action last year. Spencer Sanders, not being there anymore. He's kind of taken over that lead quarterback role. He was you know, he's staying after practice, throwing the football around, which we've seen on plenty of those media interviews when they kind of show practice in the background, right. he's bought in. And I think the guys really respect him as a leader. I know the offensive linemen seem to really like him. Not that they don't like Bowman, but he seems like a team guy. And I'm really excited to see how much he improves. Hopefully not having to play this year, saying right. Bowman stays healthy, but the next year. Well, there's no, it sounds like not really a QB battle this year, but there will be one next year. So you you hope that Rangel can make that leap and he's going to show it in practice. He'll show it in some game situations. But uh, yeah, this is an important year for him developmentally. And we've talked about this all offseason. The ability to learn from a guy like Alan Bowman is critical and I don't think can be understated just to be in that room, hear the way a veteran quarterback talks. I'm excited to see Rangel because I think he's got the physical tools. Just can he package it all together? And obviously, Cade, we won't spend this much time on every position. I just wanted to <laughs> it's quarterback. It's ev- everybody wants yeah. to know. Yeah. So Gunner Gundy, love him. He just still it. It doesn't. I don't see. I see him as a solid backup. I could see him as maybe a group of five starter. But Cade, I just don't think. For being in the program for this long now, I don't know if he if he were to be QB1 at Oklahoma State this year, say Bowman and Rangel both went down, knock on wood that that doesn't happen. I'm not trying to put that out into existence, but I would be uncomfortable from what I've seen from him in game, from what I saw from him at this practice. And I actually got to watch him at practice two years ago, but that's when he would have been you know, his first year in the program. I just don't feel comfortable with him leading this team as the QB1. Now, We've talked about this on here. He's we're talking about the speed of all these guys. He's he's probably close to Chelsea speed. Yeah, no, he's the he's fastest for sure. Very fast. He wants to run the ball. He knows that's his strength. When he gets out of the pocket, he's looking to make a play with his legs over downfield. He's still got some good touch. He makes some good throws, but the progressions, the I guess kind of lack of arm strength there, lack of touch on some throws. Even though I, I know I said he did have some good touch on some throws. All around, 
I think he's a clear QB three. Now I, I can't say for sure that floors would beat him out. I think athletically he floors looked awesome in the individual drills and everything. He didn't get enough reps with the team. He got the, the least reps of the four with any of in any of the team drills. So Gundy's probably the three right now. I just, Kate, I, I'm not trying to bash on him or anything. I just kind of wanted to get that. I didn't see a ton of improvement from him. Like I saw with Rangel comparatively. Yeah. I mean, and, and not, unexpected I, I i i think gunner gundy is what gunner gundy is and I, I don't think that oklahoma state wants to be in a situation where he's starting i mean i think there was a reason that he didn't at times last year when spencer sanders was injured that's we, a great point right like he he was healthy and did not play so i think it's just just put a bookmark in that because i think that's what oklahoma state would like to do is is not play him floors Looks the part, Kate. He's very tall. He's already decently sized. The one thing I noticed from him, he looked great. You know, they're throwing into the net, kind of practice on some. You know, that net drill is from for kind of like the route timing. So they'll put that net at where the receiver would be based off their drop, based off the call, throwing into the net, and then they're throwing the fade balls into the net in the corner of the end zone, the kind of bucket shaped net. So he did awesome in all of those. One thing I noticed with him though. He gets the ball out really quick, maybe the quickest oh, wow. of all four guys. It's a very quick release. It's a very true QB throwing motion, and I really love that. Again, he didn't get a ton of work, had some red zone opportunities when they did team red zone stuff. I thought he looked fine. He's a true freshman. I, didn't, I can't really evaluate him based off of what I saw in this one practice, but just looking at him physically, watching him into the individual drills, I'm really excited for the future for him for sure. And if, you know, if we get any notes from extreme camp, like we did last year, if we get notes from practice next year, I wouldn't be surprised if he's competing with Rangel for oh, the yeah. one spot, just based off his physical appearance. Yeah. Well, I mean, he's, he's kind of a, he's not a prep school quarterback. You can't call him that, but he has been in, he's been in elite 11. He's a camp quarterback. He's been around and he kind of knows what's going on. So I'm excited to see his development, but not surprising that he didn't get a whole lot of run. 100% running backs. This one will be kind of quick, Cade. I didn't have a ton of notes on the running backs. They all looked solid. They all ran with the ones, twos, and threes. If I had to pick who I think would be the one based off of just experience with the team and how he looked in this one practice, I would go Ollie Gordon. Jaden Nixon, they used him a lot in kind of third down situations. They threw him the ball, which yeah. you pointed out in some kind of quick outs. Uh, uh, so, sometimes it's the check down. He seems like he's going to get a lot of run on third down, Kate. I, I don't know if Oklahoma State's truly been a third down running back team. Like you see a lot of NFL teams go with their third down package or even their second long package with this, you know, Darren Sproles type of Westbrook type of running back out yeah. there. But I it looks like they might do that next season. They may have packages for a Jaden Nixon for second and long, third and long, and use him because he's shown to be a, a serviceable blocking running back, and he obviously looks great out in space when he gets the football. So I thought he looked really good. And then Elijah Collins, I thought he looked solid. No, None of the backs in this practice broke off any huge runs like they we've heard that they've done in other practices. So there's not a, there wasn't a ton of wow moments. But I didn't think they looked bad. I thought they all looked solid. 
think the gap scheme is going to be a huge positive, which I'll talk about a little bit more when we get to the offensive line. But I think they all three look good. Nothing wow, but nothing negative. Yeah, I think the biggest thing for me is Jaden Nixon. We saw last year, and specifically in the Texas game, his ability when in space, what he's able to do, broke off a long run in that game. But additionally, the thing I look at more specifically, he was used as a receiving threat. And so you and I have talked about this uh, plenty this offseason, but he showed that in that game. It was a, a thing that they kept going back to in that game that Texas could not figure out how to defend. And I, I would love to see Oklahoma State do more of that. And frankly, I think it's how you keep a guy like that out of the transfer portal. I do think Jaden Nixon is a guy that can be a difference maker in the right spot. And we've seen you know Oklahoma State not necessarily do a whole lot in the past with a quote-unquote gadget player. I'm not saying Jaden Nixon is that, but he's kind of a matchup problem. Like if you can get him swung out to the side, he's a good enough receiver and he's got a quick enough, you know, kind of one-two burst that he can make he can make some problems happen for a defense. 100%. Ollie Gordon also is very loud, very active on the sideline. He's he's funny to watch. He the, looks like he's slimmed to... down a little bit. Am I yeah. wrong in that? He seemed, he looked extremely, I mean, he always does, but he is extremely athletic. Like he looks like a huge wide receiver yeah. back there at running back. The offensive lineman, he was joking around with them on the sideline. Anytime the offense scored a touchdown, he was one of the first guys over there. So I know we've heard sometimes he can get maybe a little hyped up in a negative way, but at this practice, he seemed like he was having a great time mixing it up with the guys. He's very vocal out on the field as well. So it's good to see. It looks like he's kind of assumed that role of a younger leader, whereas Elijah Collins looks like he's more of a quiet leader, leader on the field, leader through experience. But I thought all three backs look good. I'm excited to see how they use them. But again, no wow moments. So I, did, I didn't want to get too hyped up on running backs yeah, like I did with yeah. like an Alan Bowman or one of the receivers that I'm about to get real hyped up on it or multiple receivers. So let's go. I want to know. Uh, okay, Kate. So wide receiver was interesting with how they lined them up. So they had Jaden Bray was the Z and you can kind of tell the defense. Anyway, Oklahoma state's defense treats him as wide receiver one. They were rolling coverage to him. They were, they were doing a lot of zone stuff. So they'd have a safety over the top and somebody underneath. They were trying to make it to where they Jaden Bray was not an option in team stuff in the one-on-one -on -one drills Bray looked awesome he's just a physical specimen it's not that he's like bowman thick it's just extremely muscular he jumped super high there was a deep ball Lunt and i were talking about i think it was from bowman it looked like it was way overthrown because bowman got pressured and bray almost got there it, it was like he got a second burst of speed and he was way past the db just blew by him and almost got to the football, his speed, his leaping ability. They did a, you know, they have the machine shooting the footballs out early in practice. That was actually what they did before they were even stretching some pre-practice work. And Casey Dunn and Trayson Wallace are shooting the ball a little high up. So guys like Leon Johnson, you know, super long arms, go up and grab it. Ray was jumping, snagging it pretty much one-handed higher than anybody else was jumping. It, it was amazing to watch. He is a physical specimen. If he can show any kind of, which he did in this practice, getting separation, things like that. I think he's a guy that could be, you know, an all big 12 caliber oh, wow. 
wide receiver. The problem is because the defense was paying so much attention to him, I didn't see him get, he didn't get the ball thrown to him a lot in team trails. So he was the starting Z at X. They actually had Dijon Stribling over there mm. and he was rotating in and out with Blaine Green. And then when they would go 10 personnel, and bring a fourth wide receiver out there. Blaine Green was that fourth wide receiver. So it looks like Stribling, Blaine Green, and Bray have kind of separated themselves as three of the better wide receivers, three of the guys that the coaches want to get on the field. So they had Stribling at Z some as well. So it may be a case where Stribling is Z, X, Blaine Green's at X. They're just kind of rotating the guy, these guys in there. But that just goes to show you, it's not like someone's going to get pigeonholed at the Z spot, at the X spot. And then obviously the slot was Brennan Presley. Does any of that kind of layout of the depth chart there with the first team, does any of that shock you? Stribling no surprise. Anything like that? No surprise. I, I have thought that Stribling would be too good to keep off the field. I think Oklahoma State has a, a log jam at receiver again, even after this kind of problem with the portal that they had. And you haven't even mentioned Rashad Owens yet. So they, they have a lot of guys. I, I think that Deshaun Stribling is the one that I still am circling. Like if, if he can get that separation and give some, you know, another thing for the defense to focus in on and take some pressure off Jaden Bray, I think that can be the, you know, kind of key to unlocking him. So this whole thing is very interesting to me. Behind those guys, you had Leon Johnson, as the the third, I guess, X out there, he's really probably second string because I would c- consider Stribling and Green as the ones at X. Right. Um, Arlen Bruce was the backup slot, and then the backup Z was Rashad Owens. And Cade, Rashad Owens, from the beginning of practice to the end of practice, was the most impressive player oh, wow. on the offensive side of the ball. It was almost... It was probably the most shocking thing of the entire practice. I was not expecting to come out of that practice saying Rashad Owens was the MVP of the offense and probably the MVP of the practice. I think I counted three touchdowns. I know Lunt, I think Lunt wrote down four. There was a t- there was an individual drill before we even got to see him in team where he's lined up on Kenneth Harris in one on one, and basically the receiver has a route. The DBS to guard him in man. He did a double move and basically left Kenneth Harris at the kind of five yard mark of the route where he didn't even know what was going on. Rashad just blew right by him on that second, on that kind of start stop, got past him, caught the pass, did it again to Harris later on almost the exact same, exact same double move. And then did it. I think it was DJ McKinney later who, Harrison McKinney yeah. were good in team. Rashad Owens just absolutely roasted all both of them in this individual drill. And then he caught two touchdowns in red zone. Oh wow. It was insane to watch. And one of them was kind of a broken play where he had to find open space. He did, I thought he did a great job of creating space from the DB with his feet, creating space physically, because it doesn't look like he's lost much weight. I know he's listed, I think, is a little bit lighter from when he bulked up for Cowboy back but he's still thick. His speed really impressed me. I have not, I I guess we just haven't gotten to see it because last year he was running so many routes from the tight end cowboy back H back spot, but his, he may have created the best separation of any receiver at practice. And that's counting Jaden Bray. It was impressive to watch. Now, again, in team, the defensive backfield was doing a lot of zone. So you can't, it's not so much 
separation, maybe when they're in that match zone, but in the one-on-one drills, he probably created the best separation out of any of those guys. And when Bray had to take a blow after a deep ball in, in team drill, Owens was first guy out at Z. So I think he's going to get rotated in there. Yeah, that is shocking. I did not expect you to say that. It's kind of been a five-person, you know, receiver unit in my mind. Rashad Owens being one of them, or not being one of them, and coming through, as you're saying, as one of the best players on the field is surprising. Because if when I think of Rashad Owens, I don't think of separation. I think of the ability to make a physical catch. We've seen that in his career. But we haven't seen a whole lot of it. So this is very interesting and, again, highlights the depth that Oklahoma State has there. It also highlights – I'm glad that you caveated that with that Kenneth Harris and DJ McKinney were good because that was my first thought was, well, we didn't see it a whole lot last year. So I hope that doesn't mean anything about those guys on the defensive side. But, man, that's fantastic. Yeah, he was making plays against the ones, twos, and threes. So Owens did it pretty much against everybody. The slot guys, Presley and Bruce, they were- at practice watching the sideline, they look so small, but they're catching these passes and taking, you know, they're not going to the ground. They're taking hits, though, bouncing off of them and keeping going. So it's fun to watch. Presley had a few catches. He had a touchdown catch, which was on kind of a broken play that he caught over the middle. It was a great catch by him. He had to jump up and grab it. But he went down and did the fake injury. Yeah, the hammy thing. I had no, I first thought maybe faking because we've seen that so much recently, but he kept it going for way too long to the point where the guy offensive guys on the sideline started walk, walking over. And we got, when he got up and started celebrating, I think a few guys weren't super happy with that because they thought he, I thought he was actually injured. It scared me after like he was down. I mean, he was down there for like a full minute. Oh, wow. His hamstring. Yeah. That's, it was, that's a commitment to the bit. Like you, I mean, that's good stuff. It was funny, though, and then everybody started laughing a little bit after that and, ju- and jumping all around, but Presley looked awesome. I think he's going to be a main target. I'm just not talking about him as much as Bray and Owens because Bray we didn't get to see a lot last year, and Owens was kind of unexpected, so I wanted to hit them two first, but Presley looked great. Arlen Bruce, his foot speed and quickness in those one-on-one drills really stood out. He's a guy that I think can create separation at the slot position. He's going to be... Man, Kate, I hate to say it, but his kind of quickness, foot speed may make up for, you know, JPR was probably one of the most sure-handed receivers we've seen at Oklahoma State in recent years, especially at that kind of slot position. I don't think Bruce has that as far as hands, but his foot speed and quickness and route running may even make up for that a bit there. I'm not going to say it's a complete wash. John Paul is an amazing receiver, but I thought Bruce looked great. And I think he'll fill that JPR spot in very easily for this team. Yeah. I think you lose some physicality and size potentially without JPR out there, but I, it sounds like, and, and if you watch the tape, I mean, he, he pops as kind of a dynamic playmaker, maybe even more of an open field playmaker. We haven't seen Presley, you know, get that opportunity a whole lot. He's a sure-handed possession receiver, great route runner. I feel like Arlen Bruce, though, is kind of a guy that can take a tunnel screen 80 yards. You know what I mean? Like, and I, I say that Brendan Presley's running kick, kickoffs back for touchdowns, but I think you get my point. Like, I think Arlen Bruce might have more top-end playmaking ability. And and so I, I'm excited to see how it goes. Lane Green, next up, who I wanted to talk about. He's he just looks like a tight end out there running around, and that's not negative. He's just so big. 
I don't know. Lunt and I kind of and Fuller and I were kind of talking about this. I, we didn't really see in those one-on-one drills him really create separation. It's almost like he wasn't always trying to because of his physicality and his vertical. He's able to get up above the DB and he's got such long arms, make the catch. He's going to be, I think, one of the primary red zone targets. Yeah. And along with Jaden Bray, I think, and, and probably Leon Johnson too, but I think Green probably gets more snaps than a Leon Johnson at X. I think he's your fade ball guy. I, if, I, I And I, I know some people don't love the fade route when you're down in the red zone, but I think throwing it up to Blaine Green is going to be a high percentage throw, especially coming from a touch thrower like Alan Bowman. His brother was the red zone guy, so it's not shocking. And they're not the same receiver, but they're, they have a lot of similarities. And so that's not mind-blowing to me. Yeah, not the crispest route runner, but I still think he's a guy that's going to pop this year and get a lot of catches, a lot of yards. I don't know if he's got a ton of after-the-play ability, and I'm, I'm not trying to say he's not fast or not shifty. He, he just still looks like that, he has all that cowboy back size on, and he yeah, looks possibly very strong. He probably I, looked a bit the thickest of all the receivers, even counting Owens. I, I think it would be difficult for those guys. You you bulk up to go to a position and then you bulk back down a little bit to move back to your first position. I'll give those guys a little bit of credit because that's not all that common, right? Like you don't see that a whole lot. Yeah, 100%. To talk, to stay on the X position, Stribling, I think we're – Lane probably has more physicality and more of that go up and get it. Stribling maybe has a is a little bit better of a route runner and maybe could create a little bit more separation with his quickness. He made some plays. I don't know truly, like if you were to tell me, and I'm not saying Stribling's going to mainly play X. He may even end up moving back to Z if Shetron comes back and they want to play. I, you know, I don't know how it's all going to shake out or Leon Johnson starts to pop a little bit more. But if you were to ask me right now who I thought would start between Stribling and Blaine Green, who would get more stat- snaps, I don't think I could give you an answer. I oh, think wow. they were pretty pretty neck and neck as the second receiver to Braze one, but not counting second outside receiver, not counting Presley and Arlen Bruce and that. But it, it was pretty tight. I thought Stribling looked really good. I'm not saying he underwhelmed for me at all. I thought he was solid. I just think Blaine Green is really good as well. So I'm not sure who would get more snaps out of the two. And who knows, maybe Stribling moves back to Z and split snaps with Bray. I, I, I'm not 100% sure. And then the last guy I want to hit on, Leon Johnson, he is, I mean, I know it's not going to come as a shock to anybody. He is insanely tall. He's very lean, but not skinny. He just looks skinny, I think, because he's so tall. But he, he wasn't a, I think he may need the summer and the fall to kind of really learn some of that physicality, which he probably sure. didn't get at the D three level. I'm not, at this time. I think he's probably behind Ray Stribling Green and even a Rashad Owens in in the pecking order. There, I know all those guys don't play the same receiver position, but if I was ranking outside receivers and who impressed me the most and who I think would get the most snaps, I'd probably have him at, at what was that fifth. Yeah. Again, not a knock. I'm not saying he's a bust or anything. It just seemed like he's still not completely used to that physicality because in all the catch drills where there was no DB on him, like like I'm talking about shooting out of the machine, he didn't drop one. All the ones where Trayson Wallace 
and Casey Dunn have the pads on their arms and they're slapping at the hands, slapping in the helmet. He never dropped one. So he's got great hands. He's got great athleticism. I think he's physical. I just need to see it on the field. And I don't think I really saw that. Yeah. And I think it's exactly what we discussed about him is that's, what's going to have to come. And now that you've seen it, I'm, I'm, I'm not surprised to know that here's the other thing. I don't think you barring injury, like just the way the death chart shakes out. I don't think you need him to be ready to go day one of, of, you know, fall camp. Like he's probably the guy that can take the time to develop just the way the depth chart shakes out. You've added a little bit in pulling the cowboy backs back in. So I I'm willing to say, yeah, give them the time to develop. They they have to reload a little bit with, with the amount of players they lost in the portal. It's, it's not unfair I think it would be unfair to expect him to be ready to rock and roll day one. Yeah, for sure. And I think anybody worried about, you know, Casey Dunn, not coach the last thing on the receivers. If anybody's worried about Casey Dunn, not coaching up the receivers. First off, he is, he's there in every individual drill, obviously in team, he's the offensive coordinator. So he's moving more to that offensive coordinator role, but any individual he's with the wide receivers, he's walking around some, I'm talking about he's got the pads on his hands, hitting the guys. He's not a hands-off coach by any means with the wide receivers. Trayson Wallace is over there. I know David Glidden's back on the staff, but Wallace and Dunn are very, very hands-on with the wide receivers. And I think they're, from what I've seen in practice and what I've saw in the previous practice, it's it's not for a lack of coaching why maybe the receivers didn't perform super well last year. I think some guys were just still developing. There was you know some injury things, offensive line not giving the quarterback enough time sometimes on throws. I think all of that kind of combined together, but I definitely don't think there's any lack of coaching going on at the, in the wide receiver room. And I'm not just saying that, kid. You know I've been critical of Casey Dunn's yeah, yeah. offensive coordinator and some of his play calling at times last season, but – Definitely wide receiver coaching wise, he's still there and he's still that guy. Yeah, which is good. I think there's two sides to this coin. Like you, you want your guy that knows wide receiver to coach the wide receivers at the same time. And you know, it's it's one practice. I personally like a, you know, a, a little bit more global approach to a an offensive coordinator. I think you'll with the Casey Dunn critics, you're gonna get, well, he needs to be walking around more. He needs to be mainly with Alan Bowman and let, you know, a David Glidden manage wide receivers. The flip side of that coin is he's produced multiple Blitnikoff winners. So maybe he knows what he's yeah, doing. And, 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 and it, it's gonna trusts. be a common complaint with with a 100%. you know, kind of position and group coordinator. And it's a great point. I, I think he trusts Tim Rattay too with the quarterbacks. I know sure. you're just making a making an example there. Oh, sure, sure, group. sure. But yeah, I think I think it's a trusting, and I, I do get what you're saying. I just kind of wanted to throw that out there because I love it. it. Cracked me up when he had those big cone sword looking pads on that he was slapping the receivers with, and they the receivers love Casey Dunn. They oh yeah, it was funny. You know, they're talking trash to each other. He's you know, after they catch it, maybe slapping them in the helmet when they're walking away and they're laughing. So it, it was, it was funny. And the tight ends were involved in that as well. That's awesome. Okay, moving on offensive line. Katie, probably one of the biggest things here is Caleb Etienne announced he was going to the transfer portal. He's already committed to BYU. My understanding is I think his name, he was a offensive assistant. Yes. Braden Kearsley. He was an offensive line graduate assistant at Oklahoma state he is now, he left last season for BYU. I'm thinking that's probably one of the primary connections there for Etienne. 
leaving so quickly. But, you know, we heard Coach Mike Gundy say in his media availability yesterday that Etienne thought he got beat out. You mentioned it earlier. Right. And the guy who had, who's in his spot with Cooper on the sideline on the bike was a guy we know can play tackle. He's played it before he started at this position before. Cole Birmingham. That was your left tackle. Your left guard was Jason Brooks. Your center was Joe Maholsky. Your right guard was Preston Wilson. And your right tackle was Jake Springfield. So pretty much everybody we thought with Cole Birmingham in at that left tackle spot. And I thought he looked good. You know, Lunt pointed out to me something that may be a scenario, a possibility for fall is when you get Cooper back, no knock on Jake Springfield, but maybe you put Cooper at left tackle. You have Cole Birmingham, who we know is an insanely, insanely awesome run blocker and, and a serviceable pass blocker as well. You put him at right tackle and then Jake Springfield's kind of your swing tackle. If either, either guy needs a blow, I think that would be more of a good role for Springfield. Although I thought Springfield looked good in this practice, but I was excited to see Cole Birmingham there because if he's not going to be one of the starting guards, I, I can't picture him not being in the starting lineup. Right. So the fact that he was at left tackle, I know you and I didn't bring that up. Probably should have thought about that since he played there before after the Etienne news. And I know that happened after we podcasted, but I loved it. I loved seeing him there, and I thought he did awesome in practice. We did talk about – we didn't necessarily put him at tackle, but we did talk about as a concept, like he's probably too good to keep off the field. I think I, – I brought this up last week. You look down a 12-game schedule, whether it's injury or simply he shows up, I think he's going to be in the starting lineup come the end of the year, and I was kind of looking at those left and right tackle spots. I think Dalton Cooper – is going to have something to say about that. But Cole Birmingham complicates things for a guy like Caleb Etienne, who by most accounts was not as much of a help as you would have liked him to be, especially at that blindside tackle position. So this is a net good thing, I think, for Oklahoma State. And to your point about it, him entering the portal, he was in it for eight hours. So I think that should tell you the story right there. Some of this stuff is not as uh, uh, discreet as it should be or could be, but I think ultimately Oklahoma state's going to come out just as good. And if not better than they were, I, I didn't think he was going to be the option at left tackle starting the year. So I think they're going to be all right. And Kate, since we, since we've now at least touched on every position group when we're at O line, I kind of wanted to talk about some scheme things. Cause I know people are interested in that. They did a drill, and this was going on while the wide receivers were doing the individual drills with the defensive backs. So it was kind of the fronts on each side with the quarterbacks and the running backs. So you had the offensive line, the defensive line, the linebackers, the running backs, and the quarterback. And it was mainly just working on run plays. The defensive line, and we'll get to the defense, but they, they did really well in this drill, but they also probably know what's coming because we're, you know, we only have two practices left. So yeah, right, right. By this point, you kind of know what's going on. You've played with these same linemen for so long. You kind of get a feel of what's going on. But there was a quite a bit of pull of gap scheme stuff. Now, I would probably say if you made me guess, you know, we talked about this. It was about 95, 90% zone, 5, 10%. And I have these charted down. I probably could have looked it up before the podcast. So sorry about that. 5, 10% gap. From watching this practice, I think you could even see it go to maybe 30% gap, 35, to where they're a 65, 70% zone team and a 30, 35% gap team, which you're never going to, 
outside of some of these teams, like maybe a K-State, who still runs a lot of zone, they may be closer to 50-50 or maybe even 40 zone, 60 gap. I'd say it's probably closer to 50-50, maybe even 60-40. But I think Oklahoma State going from 5 to 10% to 30 35% is a huge leap. Also, Kate, a lot of under center. And by oh, wow. Lot, I mean, how many times did they go under center last year when it wasn't fourth down or in, in the red I'm, zone? I'm going to go f- less than five. Yeah, they went <laughs> maybe zero at the 40-yard line, 50-yard oh, line wow. when they were doing team stuff. They went eye formation. A lot of motion from that tight end position. You're Jos- Josiah Johnson, too. We haven't talked a lot of tight ends. So I was going to talk about them with the O-line and Cowboy backs. It was Josiah Johnson and Braden Casty the one fullback and the one tight end. And then Ian Edenfield and Schultz were behind them. Saw a little bit of Tabry Shetron. I think Luke McIndoo was in there a little bit, Quentin Stewart. But it was mainly Johnson, Cassidy, Schultz, and Edenfield out there. I thought they all looked really good. They're motioning that tight end, moving him from one H back to the other side, moving him back on pretty much every play. There was some wide receiver motion. That fullback might be moving around in the backfield. There was motion on... Man, I'd want to say maybe half of the plays. They still went tempo. They would slow things down at times. So I don't think we're going to go completely away from tempo. But the plays Lunt and I saw and Fuller and I saw, GH counter, we saw some G lead, which I've talked about, counter, dart, which I've hit on a lot in those Twitter threads because that was a Gundy staple from some of those earlier teams that he was offensive coordinator in his early years as head coach. Some weak ISO stuff, a lot of fullback lead type things. So it was really cool in the past game. There was a, some kind of new things. We saw some crossing stuff, some more corner route stuff, some kind of scissor mesh combo. So scissor would be a deeper mesh, deeper down the field, the receivers crossing each other. But again, there was still a lot of zone. You, when you got a guy like Ollie Gordon, a guy like Jaden Nixon, you still want to run outside zone. You want to get those guys on the perimeter. 100%. But it was a lot. of, And they, like I said, they went 10P. There was 11. I think we'd probably call it 21 now that it has a fullback when there's running back, fullback, and a tight end. But I really liked everything they were doing. It seems like they're going to keep that, you know, our our guy, Ian, uh, from, from inside Texas, who we've had on to talk about Texas, Ian Boyd. He calls it kind of a power spread with tempo. I think they're going to keep that going. If they're able to find a good balance between that under center, that run game, the gap, the zone, the pass plays, if Bowman and the receivers can perform and the backs can give you enough there, because the offensive line was opening up holes, the first team offensive line. So if you can mix that all together to where you're not a one trick pony and you have to just go to the pass game. I liked what I saw from this offense. It wasn't drastically different. Like you're not going to be like, wow, this is a completely new team. There are going to be plays where you're going to say, Hey, have we ever run that before? So I know Kate, all that was a lot, but I wanted to hit that before we went any farther into the offensive line. Since we're kind of wrapping up the offense right now. No, I'm glad you did. Cause I'm trying to kind of conceptualize this in my head. I didn't get to see it, but I, I'm trying to think of an offense in this conference that goes under center like that. And the only one I'm coming up with is Baylor in my head. Like you've seen their, uh, like they they like doing that and they like using motion. And I know that they don't do a whole lot of gap stuff. It's mostly zone, but that's kind of where my head went. But it sounds like Oklahoma State, and correct me if I'm wrong, might be a little bit more pro slanted in some of their alignments. Yeah, yeah I think so. I think you're going to see a little bit of that under center eye formation. The eye formation cracked that's me wild. up. I know I texted you about it. You know, yeah, full, you- <laughs> that's fullback and running back lined up directly behind the quarterback under center. They did that at the 45 yard line. So it wasn't like they were in there. 
So it, it what was a crazy idea. Now, again, I'm not saying they're going to be under center every play. This was These were things that I saw that I didn't see last year. So take that with a grain of salt. I'm not saying this is a complete offensive overhaul. They're still going to run inside zone. They're still going to run outside zone. There's just going to be that fullback and tight end out there. You may see some under center. And I think they're going to pull the tackles a lot with Dart, whether it be Dart or GT counter, and then obviously the guard on GH counter. They did some kind of tackle fold stuff where the tackle will kind of come back inside and someone will pull the outside, which was interesting. I'll have to – I don't think I've seen that on film in any of the old film I've watched from Gundy's older teams, but I've only watched – six, seven, and eight, 2006, seven, and eight so far. So if I get to that, I'll, I'll definitely put a video out out there. But to finish up the offensive line, I thought, so the twos were Calvin Harvey at right tackle, who looks like he has slimmed down. I know he came in, he was really heavy. He looked really solid out there. Matirko was at right guard, who we know started last year. Austin Kowecki at two center. Davis Donson at left guard behind Jason Brooks. And then Jack and Dean, the true freshman at left tackle. I thought Indeen looked awesome. He could obviously probably use a little bit more weight, but the older guys kind of took him under his wing on the sideline. He seemed to be a big question-asking guy, talking to Coach Dickey a lot. So I thought I thought that was cool to see him out there. Jason Brooks, you can tell he's one of the better linemen on the team. I thought Preston Wilson actually looked really good. Joe Mahalski, one of the things we've talked about with him is his snapping. He did have a couple bad snaps in this practice, so hoping he cleans it up. I think it was. I actually think I only so, truly saw one, but again, I wasn't watching every single one. The fact that there was one made me think there maybe was another. He looked <laughs> good, though, blocking. I know he's going up against Colin Clay and Justin Kirkland, so that's tough. The two offensive line, obviously Materko's experience. I thought Harvey looked okay. Kowecki struggled, but he was going up against Justin Kirkland and Colin Clay. They were rotating right. in and out with the twos. It's something you have to remember. The second and third offensive line struggled. But you're only playing three defensive linemen, so your backup defensive linemen at some points were Anthony Goodlow, Justin Kirkland, and Xavier Ross. Yeah, guys you're coming in with one of fresh guys, legs. One of those guys started at Tulsa last year. One of those guys, Adam Lunt, has said maybe the best transfer in Oklahoma State history, and we're obviously going to hold him to that. And then Xavier Ross, who got a bunch of snaps the past two seasons. So you got to take it with a grain of salt, but I, I wasn't super impressed with the second and third team offensive line. I thought the ones looked good in run blocking. I mentioned it earlier, pass pro, little susceptible at times. I think they can continue improving, though. Obviously, you're gonna if you get a Dalton Cooper in there, we know he's a really good pass blocker. I think you need... You need the five guys we talked about. You need Cooper and you need a guy like Materko to maybe step up even a little bit more because you need seven or eight right. just in case there's injuries. And I don't know if you want to throw a Harvey out there, although I thought he looked solid, a Kowecki or a Davis Dotson. And then the guys behind them, you know, Jacoby Sanders, Hilton Mar Marsh, Noah McKinney rotated in at the twos behind Harvey, the UNLV transfer, Evan Vax, our guy, uh, Villami, I'm not going to even try to say his last name, was at left tackle, third team. I don't think you, you definitely don't you definitely don't want to play any of those guys this year. And from that second team, right now, I'd really only feel comfortable with Matirko and then whatever tackle is the second team tackle, if it's Springfield, Birmingham, or Cooper. So I think you want one other guy to step up. But overall, offensive line, I thought they looked solid. Still some room for improvement. I wasn't like incredibly impressed, but I think they are definitely 100% better than last year.
Well, that's fantastic. I think that's the one thing <laughs> that I'm looking for. And I was just hoping you would say is that's a better offensive line than last year. We've thought the gap scheme would help, but it's it's good to see that. And again, I think they're deeper. You're right, though. You want seven or eight, and I, I hope they have that. It sounds like, you know, your starting depth is an improvement. What do you what do you have beyond that? I Jack and Dean, you've heard great things about. You even echoed some of that. Austin Kowecki, I just think you need I, – I would say you need eight because injuries are going to happen. So, Yeah, I completely agree. I think that was a great way to kind of summarize it there, Caden. I think we can move on to the defense, go a little bit quicker just because offense is kind of the, with a new quarterback. So Star of the receivers. show, yeah. And I know there's a lot of new guys on defense too, but there's a lot of familiar faces and a lot of guys we already know are really good. Now, Kate, I'll probably put these depth charts out that I made. Again, these aren't official by any means. These are just what my eyeballs saw. So I could probably put these out on Twitter and just show a little bit difference to what we put out because we put our first iteration out at the beginning of spring. So maybe after this Saturday, just if anybody gets injured, I'll probably take them off. You know, not not saying I keep talking about injuries. I got to stop doing that. But yeah, you do. I'll put this out there on Twitter so everybody can look at it. But for defense, start with them. I wanted to hit the injuries. Eamon Oates, we haven't heard much from him. You and I actually said that on the last right, podcast. Right, He was on the bike, so that's probably why. I don't know what the injury is, but he did not He did not practice in any of the contact stuff. Hope, if you, He was on the bike working out with those guys like the whole time, so it can't be anything super serious on his lower body. You wouldn't, wouldn't think. think. You would so, not think that. Unless it's a knee, maybe, because you're kind of locked into that stationary bike, but... He didn't look like he was limping around or anything, so it may just be a precautionary. And then Aiden Kelly, but we already knew about him. He did not have the sling on anymore or anything news. like that, so he looks he looks like that shoulder's ready to go for summer and fall. Looks like he should be back soon. Okay, That's great news. Line. Very impressive. I love the defensive line. And Cade, I keep saying, when I'm saying like Rashad Owens is very impressive, it's not because I didn't think he was good. It's just I didn't go into practice thinking... I was right. going to come out with Rashad Owens as the MVP, like I said earlier. Again, D-line, we've had some question marks there. Right. They lost some guys. They weren't you know, up to what we thought their standards should be last season. I thought they were awesome. Oh, wow. And I even said that the offensive line blocked, run blocked well. I still thought the defensive line won enough to where I would give them the advantage. And the offensive linemen that I named that were out there are guys that we know could perform, especially like a Jason Brooks, Preston Wilson, Cole Birmingham, and who are very experienced guys. And I thought Justin Kirkland and Colin Clay both looked good at nose tackle. They were rotating in and out. Man, Kirkland is a monster. Oh, wow. At, like like Lunt said, he he's the real deal. He's extremely quick, which you and I said was kind yep. of our knock on him. When I did that Twitter thread... It's still, I watched three full games of his film from Utah Tech, and I still thought he looked a little just not super athletic out in space. That is not the case. Oh, I wow. was very wrong, very quick, extremely strong. He's moving guys all around when they're doing the leverage drills with the offensive linemen. No one can really hang with them at all there. Extremely disruptive. Like I said, Lunt said he may be the biggest transfer, impact transfer that Oklahoma State has ever had. And then I would think Eamon Oates and Aiden Kelly maybe kind of 
are the twos and threes at that spot once they get healthy. But Clay and Kirkland look solid at nose tackle. I'm not worried very much about that position because Clay looked like he's gained weight in a good way. He wasn't as physically imposing as Kirkland, but I, I liked what I saw from Clay. I mean, the legend of Justin Kirkland could not be larger. I mean, we we just gave him that title of best transfer in Oklahoma State history. That is huge praise. And he's a guy that when he came in was a little bit of a I mean, he was totally unknown, but he was even an afterthought at 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 times depending on who you asked. And I think it's unbelievable how we're only in April, what is it? April 18th. And he's he's now to that point. So, and I believe you guys. I mean, it, it, I I can't wait to see it. The defensive ends they kind of rotated around some. You know, there's that Viper defensive end, maybe a little bit more athletic. They would put kind of two of the bigger defensive ends out there, like maybe a Xavier Ross, who we've seen play defensive tackle. So they were ro- rotating them all around, but it was mainly Latou, Walter Scheid, and Goodlow kind of rotating with the ones. Latou looks like the Rock now. Like Dwayne Johnson, his arms, I don't remember this from last year. His arms are not as big as Justin Kirkland's, but he's probably the second oh, most wow. muscular arms on the defense. Not like, what I thought you were going to say. Wow. It's not so much. It's not so much that he maybe put on weight as maybe just defined them more. Like he just looked monstrous and he probably could play that non-Viper defensive end as well. He mainly seemed to be at that Viper spot. Behind him was Deshaun Brown, who really, really was exciting to watch out there. I think he is someone that if he got snaps out there, you wouldn't feel like you're throwing a true sophomore on the field. He looked really good. Like I said, Xavier Ross was rotating in, which is a little bit different position for him. They're still going to kind of line up in a three-tech sometimes, but they may move out to even a five, and he looked comfortable with that. I thought Walter Scheid looked good. I didn't think there was a huge drop-off between Goodlow and Walter Scheid. I liked Goodlow a little bit more probably, but Walter Scheid just so experienced in this defense. Probably a little bit less athletic than Goodlow, a little bit more athletic maybe than Ross, but he looked really good. Khalil Johnson... And Isamon Hundley were getting some reps out there. I thought they both looked solid. Okay, there's probably, I don't know, who did I just name? Like seven defensive yeah, ends. Everybody. Eight. Yeah. So all of them looked really solid. I think Isamon Hundley and Deshaun Brown might be in the rotation. And with wow. how much they rotated these guys in practice, I think you could see kind of what was it two years ago when they were rotating the defensive line, like Every time the offense, yeah, like a platoon style, yeah, made a sub. So I think yeah. you could see something like that. Defensive line, I, I mean, kid, the, I, I'm going to say this about every group as we go along. Probably the defense won the day, even with all the positives I had on the offense. The defense looked awesome. The defensive line was probably a highlight. When we get, to, I'll finish with the neck. The other highlight, which would be safety, kit linebacker, and corner in between. But any anything shock you there? I, I just thought the defensive line looked awesome. Well, nothing, nothing shocking, but it's just I'll I'll point out kind of the uh, the craziness here. This was the unit that I said could be the difference in four wins for Oklahoma 100%. State next year. And if you're saying that they are that it sounds like they're head and shoulders above where at least I thought they would be at this point in time. If you would ask me in uh, January, there's no way I would have thought this. So that I, I just think the defensive line is an absolutely critical unit on this team because I think that they were 
detrimental. Like they lost Oklahoma State games at times last year. A lot of things went into that, but the defensive line lost them games. I look at KU last year. That was an abysmal performance. This is a huge indicator to where I think this season could be going. And again, think I think it's just going to be a season where they surprise people. And if they're that good on the defensive line, I think they're going to be a lot better than people think. I agree. And they were doing some funky kind of formations. They had Colin Oliver as kind of a defensive end at, at one point moving up down there. And I think it might have even been Col- Cody Walterscheid in the middle. He wasn't just straight up on the center. And then I think even good lower Latou on the other side. I think it was Latou, but that was kind of a funky little formation. They did really only two defensive linemen, which we saw Mason do at times. But And just overall, Kate, I know I'm going to get this when I get to the general, but I wanted to hit it now. The way the defense seem to already know exactly what to do on every formation, where to be. It looked like they were kind of going to their spots and not really having to overthink anything, which I think perfect segue into linebacker benefited a guy like Xavier Benson. Coach Nardo, what he's done with this defense already is extremely impressive. It, it It was fun to watch these guys, you know, use this defense after not having you know, been doing it that long. And I'm not saying it's that big of a change from what they've done in the past. It just seems like Nardo's kind of already made his imprint. Well, he's so impressive too with the, uh, with the media. He's, he's won the off season. And the fact that it seems like he's commanded the respect of his players. And now, as you're saying, it looks like the defense understands maybe faster than you would expect what's going on with them. Uh, It's, it is an indicator of what Brian Nardo might be for Oklahoma State. So I, I I love what you're saying here. The linebackers, I don't think, Cade, I'm not going to be like over super orange Kool-Aid positive here. And my only reason for that is I don't think I'm a little concerned about the depth. And let me walk you through it. Sam linebacker, I had Colin Oliver there, which is kind of that strong side linebacker. He looks super comfortable. We actually watched some of the linebacker individual drills as well. He just is so fluid. You you can tell Coach Nardo talked about him in his media session about how he's just always asking questions. He's just a gamer. Joe Bob seemed to really, you know, kind of use him as an example on some of his reps for the other linebackers. So Oliver's going to be great there. Xavier Benson looked like he was taking most of the reps at Mike linebacker with Justin Wright rotating in there some, but I think Vincent probably got more reps there. And then the weak side linebacker looked to be Nick Martin. They may have flipped those roles at times too. It was kind of hard to tell from my, our angle on the sideline, who was the Mike and who was the will at times, which would be kind of the middle and the weak side. But those three were the starters with Jeff Robertson, Justin Wright. And it looked like Donovan Stevens was mainly rotating in behind Oliver with some Gabe Brown and then Joe Bob Clements, son Chance Clements rotating in as well. I think the Robertson and Wright were rotating in a lot with the ones. Robertson looked awesome. I think I think he actually may be the fourth best linebacker. So if you're talking Martin, Benson, Oliver, and then who's better out of Wright or Robertson, Robertson, from what I saw in this practice, I really liked Robertson. He's just super athletic. And I thought Justin Wright was solid. Robertson's just an athletic freak out there. And he's he looks to be quite a bit bigger. This is interesting. I, I had just chalked Justin Wright up as a surefire starter and, in my head. And that may happen. He probably needs a little bit more time. You know, Benson was not every game starter last right. year. So I think it'd be pretty hard for him to just lose his spot unless Wright was just incredible. 
But all that to say, back to my initial point, and sorry for taking so long to make it. No, you're- I think they feel comfortable with five guys. Martin, Vincent, Oliver, Robertson, and Wright. Some Donnie Stevens, maybe a little Gabe Brown, but those guys are younger, don't have a lot of in-game reps, and I'm just worried about the depth there. So if Colin Oliver were to go down, do you put Xavier Benson there? Do you put Jeff Robertson there? I don't think you just move Donnie Stevens up to that starting Sam linebacker yeah, spot. Yeah, that doesn't make sense. If Nick Martin were to go down, I think you feel okay with Jeff Robertson, but then if he needs a blow at any point, who comes in for him? If Justin writes your mic back up, Mike and not playing the will. So if some of these guys, and I couldn't tell all this from one practice, I wasn't watching the linebackers the whole time, but if some of these guys don't have the versatility to play all three spots, then I don't think you have the depth there that you really want. And it may be, we thought defensive line may not have a lot of depth. I think linebacker might be your spot where you're a little bit worried about depth just because you've got three guys out there now. Three well, and I think we, I think we spoke about this as a possibility. We've 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 analyzed this roster every which way, but once you remove a fourth defensive lineman, you by virtue add another linebacker. And we talked about this. You removed a depth problem on the defensive line. Now you've got now you're too deep everywhere. It's no big deal. But what you do is you make your linebacker group thin. We we have talked about this. I think it might have been earlier in the offseason as a possibility, something we're watching for. That's not shocking to me, especially when you consider they had to move Colin Oliver back there. Granted, he's a tweener a little bit, but I think it does indicate some of what you're saying is what's being judged by the coaches. Like They're making moves based on that. And this is where, you know, a guy who we haven't mentioned that also entered the portal, even though we knew he wasn't with the team. Right. Ben Kapinski, I know he didn't think he would have fit at this spot, but I personally think he would have been able to at least be, I think he probably wanted to be a starter, but I think he would have been a serviceable backup linebacker here and greatly increased that depth. So thinking about it more and honestly talking through it with you right now <laughs> makes me wish Kapinski was still here when, Previously, I thought, you know, he's not that big of a loss. We've got some guys out there, even though I love Ben Kapinski, and, and we both do. But now I'm thinking, man, you would have liked to have him as a def spot, but that's kind of a lot to ask for a guy with one year left. Yeah, and, for sure. And Kapinski, by the way, Kate, I did want to point this out. My understanding is his scholarship went to Cabinus, so I think they're full again with the offensive lineman, the Juco guy they just added, Jarek Henry, right. which right. we'll talk about in a little bit. But I wanted to throw that out there so I didn't forget. I think they're full on scholarships at this time because Kapinski's scholarship would have went to uh, Kavanis earlier when he got the scholarship. So I, I got you. That makes sense. All right. Well, I did. I hope that didn't sound negative. I thought Vincent, Vincent and Martin in Nardo's scheme where they kind of – it seems like it's a – it's structured, not too structured, but maybe a little bit more structured than what Mason was doing and not a knock on Mason. He's a great defensive coordinator. Martin and Benson looked improved. I could tell they look like they know where to go, which I know was our knock on them at times. Sometimes last year, they just looked a little slow, a little passive. Not that Nick Martin would knock someone's head off. I'm saying like right. passive on what the right decision was. And Coach Nardo always says he wants these guys to be runners and hitters, not have to think. And I think that's going to greatly benefit Nick Martin and Xavier Benson. I mean, we, we've we talked about that too. Like Xavier Benson, you could tell there were just times where it's like he has no clue where he's supposed to be. And that's a lot of room to cover in a two-linebacker type of set. You're basically covering half the field. You've got half the field to about 10 yards in front and behind you, give or take a few yards. 
it's a yeah. lot to ask for a guy first year in his in this system. Now you shrink that responsibility by 33%. It makes sense. And I think a guy like Xavier Benson has the physical tools. I think he needs to stop thinking so much. And I think the physicality will come once he starts being more confident and making some of these plays, because that was one of the knocks we had on him as well, not being an overly physical linebacker. So I love what you're saying. That change to three linebackers, you just have less to think about. That's a it's a great call out by you. Yeah. Moving on to the cornerbacks, and then we'll finish with safety. Like I said, Corey Black looked great, looked more, maybe even a little bit more physical than a Corey Black that we saw last year, who we talked about. I think you and I used the term, you may have even used it. He kind of floated a little bit at times, sure. looked like he wasn't really attacking, maybe missed some tackles in the open field. He was very aggressive. They, the corners are going to be a little bit more aggressive in this defense at times because if they're in some cover two, if they're asked to blitz, which, you know, DJ McKinney apparently in yesterday's practice had an awesome interception off a of blitz. So the corners are going to be used as some of these guys coming at, coming after the quarterback at times, using the run game, kind of covering that flat and being asked to help out to make the tackle if the ball gets spilled outside. I thought Corey Black looked great in that role. They were in a lot of zones, so when team... Lot pointed this out. It was kind of hard to evaluate their pure coverage skills when they're in zone. They still did right. play some man and they did do the one-on-one -on -one drills. I thought Black and Cam Smith looked really good in those drills. They both look like they've not greatly improved because they're experienced guys now, but they look like they've taken a step up. So I would say, you know, if you're if you're talking about Jabbar Muhammad being injured some last year, and if you're just talking about the Cam Smith, Corey Black cornerback room. I think they've taken a step up. So I think you're going to see these guys improve. Now, That's fantastic. losing Jabbar Muhammad is a big blow. But the one thing I wanted to hit on with the cornerbacks, Cade, is there are so many guys that look solid behind them. And I know they don't have a lot of in-game reps, but DJ McKinney and Kenneth Harris were running with the twos. Kenneth Harris looked to be behind Corey Black and then DJ McKinney behind Cam Smith. But the Kelvion Beeman, Hale Smith, who's number 10 out there, which... I didn't remember he was number 10, so it kind of confused me at first. Jordan Reagan, all these guys are getting a lot of reps out there, rotating in with the twos. I thought they all made plays. They all looked pretty solid. I know I talked about Harris getting burned by Owens, but I think that was because Owens was running some insane routes. I think, I think McKinney and Harris are good to have behind Smith and Black because I think they're going to push them. For starting spots, and I thought DeKelvian Beeman looked really good. Who you and I we've heard really about, liked out of yeah. high school. We've heard good things about him. I think he can make a push for the two deep. I'm not worried about the cornerback room, and I they were a, a kind of like the defensive line to where maybe not so much with the ones as I was with the defensive line, but the backups. I was like, hey. These guys have a shot to be good. They just need some in-game experience. I mean, you've been all over DJ McKinney from the time we started recruiting him. So I, I've I've been I, he's been circled as a guy to watch through his career. The fact that he's already on that too deep in your mind, or at least right there competing with it. One, it's not surprising, but two, I think it's encouraging to speak to some of the young depth they have. Look at a guy like Cam Smith comes out of nowhere in some ways last year. Now I I do think I love what you're saying. You, there's a lot of guys around there that you might feel comfortable throwing in there. I love what you're saying. And I think moving to safety, but kind of segueing, I think safeties like Cam Epps and Ladarius Webb could also play cornerback. So I'm not, I'm not worried 
With two cornerbacks out there, I'm not super worried about the depth. Again, I know they don't have a lot of in-game reps, but compared to what I was just talking about with linebackers, it's not really a worry for me. Right. And then, Cade, finishing it off with safety, aside from defensive line, man, Trey Rucker, Kendall Daniels, and Lyric Rawls out there, they are huge, and they are so physical. It's almost like Lunt and Fuller both brought this up, I think, separately when we were all talking because we weren't you know, yelling to each other the whole practice. We were trying to keep a low profile. But they both said it looks like they just have a bunch of linebackers out there. With the, <laughs> it's with the just linebacker and then linebacker. The corners. Yeah. It, Daniels was all over the place. Rawls all over the place. Rucker doesn't care that it's not taking people to the ground. And I'm not – I'm saying that kind of jokingly, but he – is going to hit you as hard as he can. Oh, He's wow. not going to wrap up, but he was laying the hit every single time. It's also really cool that they're all single digits back there. Rucker switched to nine. Oh, Daniels nice. is five, and then Rawls is six. They looked Solid. awesome. My favorite of the backups had to be Cam Epps, a guy who we thought might be a cornerback. He's looks like he's six eight. I think he's listed <laughs> at like six three. He He's huge back there. He tipped a pass that Raymond Gay ended up intercepting in one of the red zone drills. Ty Williams. So behind them, it looked like the twos, and they rotated a lot. Ray Gay rotated a lot with these guys. They kind of rotated different spots, but it looked like it was Nick Session behind Rucker, Ty Williams at the Rover behind Daniels, and Cam Epps at the boundary safety behind Rawls. And then Raymond Gay rotated in a lot as well. But all these guys, Gay's a little bit smaller, I think, but the those six that I named, they're all monsters and they all are extremely aggressive. They wanted to come down, make hits in the run. They don't look they would they get, can get burned in the pass game either because they're all so athletic and fast. And we've heard the players mention this when they get talked to about, you know, Ollie Gordon was asked, he's not he said, you know, he's not a guy that can really break out big runs in practice because they've got safeties like Kenyel Daniels that can run him down. All these guys could run down the running <laughs> So maybe why I didn't see any big, big breakout runs. So it was really, really awesome. The safeties were really fun to watch. Those three safeties, Rucker, Daniels, and Rawls, that could be one of the best safety units. And I know some teams play with only two, but those three could be the three, the, one of the best units, I think, in the Big 12 next year. Woo! I mean, that is that is a huge thing right there, if, if that's the case. Defensive line's improved. You've got a little bit of a question mark at linebacker, but potentially one of the best units in the Big 12 as safety. I think that puts your profile of the defense at a higher level. I mean, definitely higher than I was expecting. So, I mean, that's, that's fantastic. I, I'm trying to think of a moment last year where the safeties caused issues. Really can't think of any like that. That's a group that has been consistently good for Oklahoma State. And now you've got a guy in Trey Rucker who has played really one game for Oklahoma State. And you now have seen him in another practice and he's all over the place. Um, I mean, Kendall Daniels is going to be who he is. And Lyric Rawl is a guy that you and I were very excited about late in the season last year. Um, I, I think that they've got a deep unit there and I, I can't wait to see it. Some things, and this could have just been from this one practice, but some of just kind of my negative takeaways, I think, Cade, overall from the team, yeah. is the de the defense seemed a little maybe vanilla. Wasn't a ton of crazy pressure packages I saw. I know they're going to add those in. I know they have summer walkthrough stuff that they can still do, even though I don't think they can truly coach with the ball. I know they can get in the classroom and things like that. They've got all fall camp. So there's things you can add in there. Are, like, 
obviously injury concerns, depth at linebacker, but I think the defense has a chance to be really good. I think they'll they'll still probably give up some big plays at times, but the way they just seem to know where to be. I know I've mentioned this already like six times, but guys like Benson, Martin, Kendall Daniels, who we even saw kind of mess up assignments at times. It might have just been Derek Mason. We heard this, and you and I mentioned on the podcast, he may have been trying to do too much at times and trying to do too many kind of in-game adjustments mm. that weren't they weren't really working on during the week at times. We've heard that rumor. Right. And if that's the case, Nardo has definitely simplified things. I want to see it kind of continue to evolve. So as we get into the fall, I'm sure we'll see more things. I'm not thinking that's not going to happen. I'm just saying that's one of my takeaways for now. On the offense, I think it's can the offensive line consistently run and pass protect? Can they stay healthy? And when given the opportunity, can these running backs make plays? I'm not as worried about the receiver core. I'm not as worried about Alan Bowman just due to his experience there. Obviously, you know, his health concerns in the past are a little worrisome. Receiver, quarterback, I feel good about. Run game and offensive line, just overall consistency and overall health are some of the things that if all of those things I'm saying, which I don't think that it's that huge of a question for some of these things to happen aside from offensive line health, which you know in the past, if all those things happen, if that one practice is an indicator of how the season goes, I think you and I, was our prediction nine wins? Yeah, I think we've landed where we nine. got to eight yeah. or nine. I don't think nine wins is unrealistic at all for this team. And if everything goes as planned, maybe you get to 10. If some things go a little awry, I think you could still get to eight. But it, I, I, would, I would say this team, if there's not some crazy injuries, if guys just kind of fall apart in the locker room and things like that, which you heard maybe happened last right. year. I think this is for sure a bowl team. And I still feel pretty good about the nine wins after watching the, again, that was practice. But that, yeah, that was my question is, do you come away feeling about this team better, worse about the same? Sounds like maybe better. I think a little better. Yeah I, yeah. I wouldn't say drastically. And I know I got really hyped about some of those groups, but those were groups. Maybe I didn't think were as good. So to see that, and I think it was a really good practice overall. I saw Robert Allen write about it and say it was one of the better practices. So I think we kind of lucked out there, but I feel a little better than I did before this practice about this team going forward. And at some positions like quarterback, Alan Bowman, I feel pretty good about him moving forward. Yeah. I mean, I just want to touch on one point you made just a second ago about the offensive line in the run game. If you're entering this season, not wondering that. You know, if this if this offensive line and run game can do this consistently, you you haven't watched Oklahoma State very closely. I mean that that is the question that has plagued them, and the answer has usually been no. Like usually the answer is no, they cannot block consistently. No, they cannot run the football well. Mike Gundy's going to try it. He's going to do it until it works. But the answer has usually been no. And if they can unlock that, it changes everything for Oklahoma State. Yeah. No, I completely agree. And it, it's it's to the point where from that practice, I didn't see, like, is there a running back that is a true Jalen Warren type that we saw from recent years? I don't think so. But do these running backs fit well with some of the changes that we've made to the offense? Is the blocking scheme going to help them more? Yes. And all of these guys are guys that can create in space. So maybe it's not one of these guys is a Jalen Warren, Justice Hill, Chuba Hubbard. That's asking a lot but maybe all three of them combined give you enough versatility to where this is a three-headed 
and a half headed monster at running back. If everything goes well with the offensive line where this can still be a really good rushing team and one of the top tier in the conference. That's what you hope for. I don't think you're going to see one of these three break out and be one of the best backs by themselves, but I think it could be solid by committee. Yeah, I I really like what you're saying, and I I mean I have I have questions about Ollie Gordon's ability as a every down back. Does does his skill set translate to that? And in this scheme, I, I think the answer we have no clue. But it's it's one of the biggest things that I'm looking at uh, as we go into this season. So Dustin, number one, thank you. That was fantastic. Getting that peek behind the curtain. Thank you for doing that. Uh, it's rare that we get that. We hear a lot. We see some. This this was different. So thank you for bringing that to the podcast this week. We're going to take one quick break and hear a word from one of our sponsors, and we'll come right back. Check out Homefield Apparel's new Oklahoma State line. I don't know if you have. I know Dustin and I both are rocking the new Homefield Apparel shirts that have just gone live on their website at homefieldapparel.com. I mean, the Curse of Cowboys across the chest is absolutely gorgeous. I don't know if you guys have seen the Pistol Patty t-shirt, but it is great as well. And Homefield Apparel is doing phenomenal stuff, even outside of Oklahoma State sports. If you go on their website right now, you can see potential future Big 12 members, Colorado, with a throwback t-shirt on their website. I'm just a big fan of Homefield stuff, and the quality is unbelievable. So check them out at homefieldapparel.com. And when you use our promo code feels 12 you actually will get a discount. That's right. Feels 12. We'll get you 15% off your first order when you use our promo code Feels 12 at homefieldapparel.com. Check them out right now and tell them that the Feels Like 45 podcast is Okay, Dustin, thank you again for that uh, breakdown of the practice you were at. It's fantastic. Loved getting to know the details. Loved getting to hear the names of these guys that – we talk about, but not everybody else talks about, like Dylan McKinney. That's that's a name that I'm looking for. So, again, thank you for that. I'll flip it back to you for a couple of quick notes, and then we will wrap this up with a quick basketball note. Yeah, Kate, there were a lot of recruits at the practice. It was really cool to see. Will Smith was there, Oklahoma State commit. He is a large man from Choctaw the Edge. We're not going to go through them all. We'll definitely hit these commits later. We'll have plenty of time next week when we don't have the full spring practice breakdown and me blabbering on for forever. I just wanted to mention, we mentioned it earlier, Jarrett Henry, the offensive tackle commit from JUCO is now officially on the team. That takes the last scholarship spot to my understanding. He had some offers from Middle Tennessee State and Syracuse. They brought this guy in for a visit. He really liked Oklahoma State. And this tells you that they probably knew someone on the other line was leaving. Maybe it was Etienne. He waited He's on the visit right now. He's going to be here for summer workouts. I don't think he's a contributor next year, but he adds to that depth. He's got three years of eligibility left from Trinity Trinity Valley Community College. Sorry, I didn't say that earlier. 6'6", 310-pounder. We'll see what he can do. I think he's a depth piece right now, but Oklahoma State has had some success with some of these little-known guys in the past that they're able to kind of develop. They haven't had a ton of success with JUCO guys recently, but we'll kind of see if that will change up. But there were some other commits, some other guys that committed that were at practice, so that was cool to see. But because we went so long, we'll kind of cut football for now, and we can move on to basketball. We we gave football a lot of love there, but thank you for that update. Basketball, on the other hand, might need a little bit of our love because it seems to be more bad news than good news lately. We'll start with the good news. 
you and I talked about this. I think there were some uh, whispered concerns that Eric Daly would end up going a pro route. There were some whispers of NIL getting involved elsewhere. He did sign with Oklahoma State, which is fantastic. He still could go pro. I don't think <laughs> yeah. signing a national letter of intent does really anything with that. But the bottom line is, I think Eric Daly comes in and is probably your starting three next year. Maybe depending on the lineup could be your four, but I, I think he's the guy that he puts Oklahoma state back in a position uh, type of set setting where Mike Boynton loves going positionless. I think one of the things that everybody, including myself would like to see is a little more structure, a little more offensive execution led by a true point guard, which we'll get to. He's he's a guy that Oklahoma State had to have, and this this is a big deal. Yeah, I agree. You know, six seven, two hundred fifteen pounds. If you watch his film, left handed, which always stands out. I think he's a guy that has had some in some in some of these tournaments. You see that high shooting percentage, maybe on a lower volume of threes. So you want to see if that'll translate to the college level. But the form looks good. He can handle the ball. He looks like he can move in the post, like you said, kind of positionless he's got some familiarity with brandon garrison from usa basketball he's close with justin mcbride other signee in the class and hey number 11 ranked class in the nation uh third yeah. in the big 12 behind ku and isu another solid class from coach boyd and this was a huge get i think my only negative is one of the guys that they didn't get in the 2024 class. Yeah, I mean, you you let us right into it. Here, let's get into the bad news. <laughs> yes. David Castillo out of Bartlesville, uh, of all places. We've talked about him a lot on here. He, you should know that name if you've been listening to this podcast. And if you're a follower of Oklahoma Preps basketball, he's been on the radar uh, for really about three years now. Was a five-star at one point. I don't know if he's moved back. It may depend on what service you look at. By all accounts, he's he's a top-flight recruit, and Oklahoma State did not land him. He actually committed today to Kansas State. I think it's a big loss for Oklahoma State. I think not only just because of the obvious connection. They were his first Power 5 offer. Actually, I think his first D1 offer, if I'm not mistaken. They were in very early, but you lose a local guy to a school not named Kansas or OU for the first time in a really long time. And it kind of signals uh, a trend here. Brandon Garrison really is the first Oklahoma prep star that Mike Boynton signed out of high school. Bryce Thompson ended up there, but that kind of puts you in Trey Young category, who Oklahoma State wasn't able to land. It puts you in Bryce Thompson, who they didn't land the first time. Um, there are more, but th this is this is a, a concerning trend that we're starting to see unfold. Yeah, I think the thing was there was so much hype, like what you said, Oklahoma State being one of his first offers, first Castillo in Oklahoma State. It just seemed for a while like it was a for sure thing. Yeah, it was. It kind of started dwindling off. We weren't hearing as much. You know, he took officials to K-State, Kansas, and Oklahoma State. They were kind of in, along with Arkansas and OU in the mix, but those three were kind of his final three. And then he picks Kansas State. It was tough. I'd almost have rather it had been – Kansas because at least that would have made a little bit more sense. And I'm not saying K-State is, I'm not saying K-State's beneath Oklahoma State as a basketball program with Jerome Tang. They've been, they were great this past season. Right. I just think it's a tough loss because of all the hype behind Castillo to Oklahoma State. 
So definitely going to need to replace that with something else, whether it be portal or somebody else in high school in that class, but definitely a tough loss there with Castillo. Cause he was somebody that I really liked. Well, and, and I, everybody I, really liked. I think the first thought is what, how, how does something like this happen? You, you can point to NIL, you can point to those other things. I, I think this is more a product of Kansas state's elite eight run it, with, with a point guard running the show. I, 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 if I'm a point guard, and I love Oklahoma State, Dustin. I'm going to K-State. I, I'm, I'm going to follow that path that Marquise Knoll just blazed. So I, I get it. Uh, it's frustrating. But ultimately, I, I get the decision here. And it puts another school kind of in Oklahoma State's way. You know, Oklahoma State's been trying to crack this top half of the Big 12. Kansas State, I'll remind you, was picked 10th last year in the Big 12 preseason poll, they are going to have, I mean, they have Max Acemas on campus this weekend. So they are uh, not taking a step back. They may be taking a step forward from this Elite Eight type of run. So it's concerning for the bigger picture. And and then you add a Houston into this conference. This is, this is not looking great for Oklahoma State right now. Well, and you're talking about guys visiting in the portal and you've got Oklahoma State losing another guy to the portal. In yeah. Woody Newton. This one's a little bit so Kate, have you found out anything on this? Is he's got two years of eligibility remaining. Can he play right away? Or is he's he gonna, gonna have apply to apply for, apply a, for a yeah? Everybody's applying for a waiver, and he will the NCAA says they're not gonna hand him out like they once were, but he's he's probably got a case to make, you know, with the death in his family. I think he probably could get one. Um it's unfortunate that he wasn't able to put it all together at Oklahoma state. We talked about it. His trajectory was frustrating for last season, frustrating for most of this season, figured out his role and then teams adjusted. And then his role was gone. So he was a guy that I thought would be a encouraged portal entrant. And it's, it's tough because of what he's gone through personally. Ultimately, if Oklahoma state's able to land, there's a guy that not many people are talking about that. I'll tell you about here in a second that, I, I think this is a net positive if you can replace him with somebody of of quality. Yeah, I agree. I, I don't think it's a huge loss talent wise. And, you know, I hate to just knock Woody like that, but we kind of talked about it on the last podcast. My thing is, you know, you just got to replace him now. Now you're, st- we, we were concerned about numbers and now, now they maybe don't even have enough guys out there. So, We'll just kind of see how that goes. But, Kate, I know we wanted to get into the portal. Yeah. You were about to talk about a guy. We've got another guy who was supposed to come on an Oklahoma State visit, who I think you we maybe have heard maybe didn't yeah, do it that. Sound, it sounds like some scheduling issues. I've, I've heard this from a couple of people, actually. Javon Small, who is a major target for Oklahoma State, would be your day one starting point guard, I think, uh, at Oklahoma State out of East Carolina, 17 points a game last year was supposed to be on campus this weekend, and I think due to a scheduling conflict, ended up not being on campus. They did, however, and it sounds like they're working to reschedule it. So usually in the portal, you hear that, and it's like, oh, dear, he's going somewhere else. I'm not positive that's the case here. It sounds like it genuinely was a scheduling issue. There is another guy that, Dustin, I don't know has been talked about. I don't know has been linked to. Seamus Lucosius from Butler, Six seven, you know, kind of a tweener three four. Really is is kind of a perimeter three. Uh, played uh, for Butler eleven points a game, a thirty nine percent three point shooter. 
This is a guy who was on campus last weekend, and I think it happened a little bit quietly, so I don't know if I'm supposed to be talking about it, but I am. This is a guy that I think would be a, uh, a again, position-changing type of player. I think Woody Newton gave you some of that stretch capability. I think this guy is a true 3-4 hybrid and can do either and has proven it. And I think Woody Newton, it was always the hope that he could. Yeah, we definitely need that. <laughs> right. not, not only not only losing some of the guys, but we needed that last season. So I love that name. I love you calling that out, and thank you for doing that because there's been some negative, not just negative news with guys leaving, but negative potential guys. Tyler Perry from North Texas, who we all know that played Oklahoma State in the NIT, he just released a final list that Oklahoma State wasn't included on. They've there's several guys who they've been linked to. DJ Horn from Arizona State, he's committed elsewhere. AJ Store from St. John's, Josh Nickelberry from LaSalle, Tamar Bates from Indiana, Stephen Ashworth from Utah State, a guy you and I thought Oklahoma yeah. State was heavily in on, has committed to Creighton. So there's not that many guys they've been linked to that we know about that are still out there. And there's been a couple of new guys. We mentioned some of them last week. And then the only new one I've seen since last week is Carlos Stewart from uh, Santa Clara. He is a 6'185 pound guard, 15 points a game, 2.3 assists, 2.4 rebounds, shot 40% on 4.4 threes per game. I think this would be a good get. Looks like he's got multiple years of eligibility left. He's actually from. Baton Rouge, the Dunham High School, where when he would have been in high school, I actually family friend of mine is was the head coach there, Jonathan Pixley. So that was kind of interesting. I might have to ask Coach Pixley about him, but <laughs> that's the only name. So all well, that Dustin, say, there, Kate, there is one more. There is, is there one, one more? more. This is brand new. Noah Thomason out of Niagara. Uh, it sounds like is is not necessarily near a decision but said that Oklahoma State was one of the top six schools recruiting him. I'll read you these stats, and you tell me if he fits. <laughs> 19 and a half points a game, four rebounds a game. His 2019 shooting percentage from three, 43%. 2021, 36%. 2022, 39%. Would you take him? Yes. Yes, yeah. I'm in. 6'3", 195 is the exact type of player Oklahoma State needs. I think at this point, when Oklahoma State gets in the mix on some of these guys with some of the names that have already landed, because you know, when we were originally talking that the portal had only been open for a few weeks, I think we start to see some hard pushes made for yeah. some of these guys, like this guy from Niagara, like Carlos Stewart from, from Santa Clara, and along with Javon Small, obviously. But if you get three of those guys, two of those three, I think that's big time. Well, I think it also levels the playing field for Oklahoma State. Like they're they're gonna have a hard time pulling in guys from the portal against a Kentucky or a North Carolina. Those roster spots are filled. Like they they are not recruiting the guys that are in the portal generally right now. They they'll go want it. They'll want a Hunter Dickinson, but they don't necessarily want a uh, Noah Thomason that I just mentioned. But Oklahoma State that is a gettable type of player. There will be guys that Oklahoma State gets. I just can promise you this that excite us like that will be of that type of skill set they're gonna find some they found them out of the portal last year and got really unlucky with russell harrison not working out due to an ncaa issue you never know how that was gonna end up i do think oklahoma state's gonna fill these positions and i think they're gonna fill them with the right type of player because i think there are some guys that they could have gotten that they have passed on 
And additionally, I think guys like a Tyler Perry, for example, and this is total speculation, unfair on his part, and I probably shouldn't have even said his name here. They're losing out on due to NIL. They're losing out on because some of these other schools like a Florida with some really deep pockets that Oklahoma State just can't compete with, and that's okay. That They will get into a situation where they're playing on more level competitive ground. We'll just have to see what that ends up being. So, Dustin, I love what you said there, and I think that the panic button, I'm hovering over it, but I'm, I'm, I may be pulling my hand off a little bit because I think that they're going to find some guys. Yeah, I think we see some news before the next podcast, which would be I, next I, Tuesday. I think so too. And if it's if it's the Butler kid, I'll feel a lot differently. But uh, Javon Small, I, I would think you go land those two guys. This whole season looks different. I think. Yeah, I completely agree, Kate. I know we mentioned in, unless you had anything else on basketball because we went so long. Because and apologies, going so long on football. Do not apologize. We're going to cut baseball, softball. We can get to them next week. Both teams are playing right now as we speak. And we'll get to the Cowboy Roundup again next week with some of the stuff that we missed this week because there's some positives from Cowboy Golf. I know Equestrian didn't win at all, but they got close. So we'll hit some of that stuff. Questions? I think we only got a couple. We sent it out late. Sam Butcher, Bill Minat. I think we answered both of those, one in the football and one in the spring section. So thank you guys for sending those. But Kate, I think that pretty much wraps it up for this episode, unless you had anything else. Do your taxes, kids. <laughs> That's all I got to say. No, again, Dustin, a big thank you to you. The breakdown was phenomenal as always. As spring practice wraps up, I don't know what, what in the world we're going to talk about. We need some of these exactly. basketball roster spots to get filled so that way we can just shed some optimism onto that program, one that desperately needs it. Uh, we, we can be a mouthpiece for that. There's no problem. Agreed, agreed. Well, Dustin, I appreciate you, man. Thanks as always. If you're not already, you can follow us on Twitter and Instagram at feels like 45 pod. You can follow Dustin at dust. You can follow me at Cade Webb. We will see you guys back here next week. Do your taxes and go pokes.